Well, good morning, Pillar Church. It is an honor to be here with you today. Uh, truly a joy. And so, um, just humbled to be able to come and open God's word with you and, and uh, make God great. Let God be great. Every time I preach, that's what my wife says to me. She says, let God be great. And so, that is my hope and my aim this morning is that we would put God on display and we would see his greatness. Uh, so last week, I celebrated my 20-year anniversary with my sweet, dear wife. Um, yeah, 20 years. And so needless to say, we've been through a few things over the years. And it also means I've known her for a very, very long time, going all the way back to high school when we first met and started dating. And when we first started dating, she was actually working, she had a job working at a local gym. She ran the front desk of a local gym called Naughty Body. That was the, the gym's name. And, uh, and so one particular night, I was actually over at her house with her family. We were having dinner together. And uh, sitting around the table, the conversation turned to vanity license plates. We just started kind of you know, rattling off the different vanity license plates that we had seen and laughing and joking. And so my, my wife said, oh yeah, at my work, the owner of the gym has a vanity license plate. And she said, I walk past it every day and it says, Rue Naughty, Rue Naughty. And we're kind of looking at her, we're like, okay. And she's like, like he's such a meathead, like Rue, Rue, Rue Naughty. And she goes, it's spelled R-U Naughty. And we all were like, just mouths wide open, like, that was awesome. She had no idea for months she had been walking past this vanity license plate. And she, she, she read Rue Naughty when the whole thing was, are you naughty, right? I, I, and she just completely missed the meaning altogether. And we just had a great laugh over it. And um, here's the deal. Pillar. You're in the middle of a sermon series entitled The Greatest Hits, where we're looking at some scriptures that are very, very well known. Scriptures that, that we can just rattle off and, and we've heard years, uh, uh, time and time again. And, and here's the thing. I think a lot of times we can read those scriptures that are so familiar and a lot of times we can read them kind of Rue Naughty style, right? Just kind of glossing over and completely missing the beauty and the depth of the meaning of these various passages. And so uh, that my, my hope for us today is that we're going to look at a scripture that if you've been part of the church for any amount of time, it's likely you've come across it. And my prayer for us this whole week leading up to this has been that God will open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds, and we will encounter this passage in a fresh, new, Holy Spirit-empowered way. That's my hope, and that's been my prayer. That we would hear the words of Scripture, that we wouldn't miss the beauty and the depth of it all, but it would be the aroma of life to us. That it would be like, man, you know, like when you walk into a bakery and they're baking fresh bread and you just breathe that smell in and it just fills you with that joy and then actually getting to eat it. The word of God is the bread of life, right? And so we want to, we want to breathe it in deeply 
and receive all that it has for us, that we won't just gloss over it. Because I'm not sure if you knew, but that the Lord, he's actually after your joy. You believe that? He's after your joy. I mean, what, what did Jesus say? I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be made full. That we would have fullness of joy. And I think a lot of times when it comes to the gospel, many of us are missing out on the fullness of all that God has for us. We miss out. I, I mean, I wonder how many in this room would say that you are experiencing all that God has for you. I wonder who in this room would say, hey, it has been, it has been my consistent track record of always loving God with all my heart, always going after him, always putting him front and center in my life. You have succeeded in doing that in your spiritual life and journey, and you would claim, that's my story. Anybody? I wonder when you picture God and you think about the Lord and his attitude toward you, do you think of God as being disappointed rather than delighting over you? Do you leave, uh, do you come here on Sunday and feel a nearness to God, but then Monday morning you wake up and he just seems very distant and far away? Do you sometimes engage in behaviors and activities that you don't even want to do? Do you, do you look to your spiritual activity as your confidence to approach the, the throne of God in worship and in your personal time with him. You see, if we're going to walk in the fullness of all that God has for us in the gospel, we must, what we're going to see from this passage today, we must acknowledge and receive who we are apart from Christ and who we are in Christ. Paul is going to create a, a contrast for us in the, the passage that we're looking at today. In other words, if you miss or forget who you were uh, outside of Christ and now who you have been made in Christ, we will not worship God and we will not love him as we ought. We're not going to walk with him as we ought. You will never be a worshiper with your heart full of joy in Christ if you do not receive the truth of who we are apart from Jesus and who we are in Jesus. So do you have a heart to receive this morning? Do you believe that you could come into this place, encounter God in a powerful way, and walk out different? Do we believe that? I believe it. I believe it. And that's my hope for us. So let's pray, and then we will press in. Heavenly Father, I give you all the glory and the praise for our salvation, for uh, our adoption, for our justification, for our redemption, for our forgiveness, for eternal life, it is all you, Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that as we delve into this passage today, that, Lord, you would be made great. Not that you, you already are great, but I pray 
that our hearts would awaken to your greatness and that we would receive the joy that comes through fixing our eyes upon you, Jesus, and seeing your amazing life, your death in our place, and your resurrection. So, Lord, do something powerful in this room. I, I can't, I don't have the power to change anybody's heart, but you do. And through the, through the preaching of your word, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can change us and transform us and make us more like you, Jesus, and bring you all the glory and honor. That's our hope. That's our prayer. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so our specific passage today is, is Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. But I think to truly kind of comprehend the, 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 uh, this, this passage, we really need to take it in context, and we need to read the greater passage surrounding it. So we're going to go Ephesians 2, and we're going to go back to verse 1. That's where we're going to start. So uh, in, in 2006, I got a chance to go to Hawaii, and I'd never been to Hawaii before. And it was uh, one of the most stunningly beautiful places I've ever been, right? We, we went as a family. My brother was stationed in Japan. And so it was like, okay, if we're going to do a family thing, where, where do we go? Hawaii. It's right in the middle. Darn, right? Shoot. We have to go to Hawaii. So, so we did all the, the kind of typical touristy things, right? We went to the volcano. We did the luau. And we went snorkeling with the sea turtles. And this one particular day, we were in a, 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 a bay called, they just called it A-Bay, because there was this huge long name that I could never say. So we were in A-Bay, and it was my wife, myself, and my little brother swimming out with our snorkel gear. And uh, we were about 40 yards off the shoreline when a thought popped into my head. I said, oh, I forgot to take off my wedding ring. You know, I'm out here, I wouldn't want to lose that. And so I, I said to my wife, I said, honey, did, did you take off your wedding rings before you came out? She goes, oh no, shoot, I didn't. And then in that moment, she will do something that I will never understand. Never ever. She decided to pop the rings off her finger with the thought that she was going to jam them on her middle finger so that it'd be tighter, so less likelihood of losing it. She pops it off her finger, and then moments later, I hear her say, I dropped it. I dropped it. To which I said, the band or the diamond? The band or the diamond, right? Which one? Because one is not that big a deal. The other is a big deal. And she goes, it's the diamond, the diamond. And then right in this very moment, like a bunch of kids in a banana boat come like plowing over our heads, so we're all disoriented. And I look at my little brother and I say, we've got to dive straight down and find a marker, right? Because there's currents pushing you. And so we said, we need to find a marker at the bottom of the ocean so that we know where to keep diving. So we dive straight down and in that moment, I realized we were in 10 feet deep water, and down on the bottom of the ocean, there was coral everywhere. And I just, it was this moment where I felt totally hopeless. I was like, this thing is gone, right? And, and to make matters worse, it was my great-grandmother's ring. It had been in the family for about 120 years. So we had to go and tell my mother, which was fun. Um, so, you know, it was, it was this sense of complete hopelessness 
and, and loss. And we did continue to dive for about an hour. Uh, and, and, and I can't tell you, I was just, I felt completely hopeless. There was nothing I could do to really change this situation. We were just diving, diving, diving. And, and I had this pit in my stomach that something of great monetary and sentimental value was lost. And see, today, in this passage, Paul is going to unpack for us our spiritual state. And he's going to tell us we are utterly hopeless. We're utterly hopeless apart from God. And so, let's read it. Verse 1. We're going to go verse 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, so this passage is not a preacher's friend in America, right? Like, it's just, it's just not. We live in D.C., and it is the spin capital of the world, right? We love to spin things and make them sound not so bad, right? And, and so a lot of times, even in our churches, we will try to do that, and, and we won't say or read the hard passages that are in Scripture uh, because it's not a message people want to hear. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, you're under wrath. People don't want to hear that, right? But the message of Ephesians 2 is that you are dead and you are sinful, not because you actually do bad things, but because you were born. That's the message. Romans 5.12 tells us that through Adam's sin, the world has been fractured, and, and that subsequently, Everybody who has been born since has been born into a state of spiritual death. That's where we're, we come into this world. Uh, but this is actually the beginning of the gospel message, right? It starts bad. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is our spiritual stature outside of Christ. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were enslaved to sinful patterns, and ultimately we were under the wrath of God. And Paul isn't speaking metaphorically. He's saying this is a statement of fact. This is what it is. And so this text is referencing our utter powerlessness spiritually. There is nothing you can do to bring yourself spiritual life. We're helpless. And here's the thing. Dead people, they don't do things, right? I've never had a guy come up to me in the gym, a dead guy, come up and start bench pressing next to me, right? No, it doesn't work that way. Nobody who is dead decides, I don't like being dead, and they bring themselves back to life. It doesn't work that way. When you're dead, you're dead. And we are dead spiritually. This isn't my opinion. This is what the Bible teaches. And it's really bad news. It's bad news. A number of years ago, I was selling my house. And it was right after the market had crashed in 2008. And my realtor came to me and he said, 
you need to list your house for less than you bought it for. And he goes, hey, don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger, right? He's like, I'm just telling you what is. And that's kind of me today too. I, I'm just the messenger, right? I'm here to tell you that if we are willing to do an honest assessment of you and I, is that apart from the work of God in our life, we are spiritually dead, powerless, helpless, without the ability to change our stature, our status, our situation. I mean, let that hit you. That's the reality. I mean, do you, do you, do you feel that? Do you realize that? That this is who we are outside of God? Then what do we do? We're utterly helpless. What do we do? And at the end of the day, it's not what do we do. It's what he's done. The next verse. It's starting to get good. Get ready. It's going to get good. Right? The next verse. Verse 4. But God. Perhaps the two best words in the entire Bible. But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in christ Jesus. Whew! God saves. God saves. He doesn't make it possible for you to be saved. He saves you. You were dead, walking in a different way, but God. He gets all the credit, all the glory for your salvation. You didn't, it's not like you figured it out, like, like you, you were smarter than the guy next to you that doesn't believe. Uh-uh, doesn't work that way. God does this work. He saves you. And he opens your eyes to the beauty of the gospel. And he brings us to life in Christ. He was the one who was rich in mercy. He was the one who had the love for you, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He made you alive together with Christ. You see, through faith, this is, this is really, really important when we're looking at the, the Pauline epistles. Through faith, we are, we are taught in the scriptures that we are united with Christ. There is a union with Christ through faith in him so that, uh, so that everything that Jesus is and everything that he has that can be shared with you will be shared with you. You are united to Christ. Paul uses this little phrase, in Christ. You see it all over, in Christ in him, it, it, he actually says it 164 times across all his letters that he has in the scriptures. And he says it 36 times in the book of Ephesians, the, the book of Ephesians. And so it, it's this idea of being united with Christ. So this is why we stand before the Lord perfect and flawless in Christ. Because Christ is perfect and flawless. So now through faith in him, that is now true of you. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, 
you receive grace in Christ. Romans 3.24, you are, uh, your redemption and justification is in Christ. Galatians 2.17, you are justified or, or made, given right legal standing before God in Christ. Ephesians 4.32, you have forgiveness of your sins in Christ. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8, 2, you are free from the law of sin and death in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Romans 6, 6, 23, you have eternal life in Christ. Philippians 4, 19, God supplies all your needs in Christ. That was last week, right? Ephesians 1, 3, you have every spiritual blessing of heaven in Christ. Ephesians 1, 4, you are chosen, holy, and blameless before God in Christ. Ephesians 3, 12, you, uh, you have boldness and confident access to God in Christ. Ephesians 2, 13, you were far off, but now you have been brought near in Christ. Colossians 1, 28, we will be presented to God perfect in Christ. And then we have in our passage today, Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, he raised you up in Christ. He's seated you in heavenly places so that in the coming ages, he is going to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness in Christ. Praise the Lord. Through faith in Jesus, we are united to Jesus and all the blessings you will ever receive will be because of Jesus, his perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross, and his resurrection. It's all him. It's all him. I mean, God the Father had a plan. God the Son comes to earth as a baby. He lives among us. He, he draws near to us, and he lived a perfect life. He's the only man to have ever walked the face of the planet that did not deserve to die because he was perfect. He didn't deserve death, which also made him the only one who could be our substitute because he didn't deserve death. Therefore, he could put himself up as a substitutionary atonement for you and for me. He dies, and then he resurrects from the grave and shows us that death and sin have been defeated. He rises from the grave. He ascends into heaven. He then sends the Holy Spirit to earth, and the Holy Spirit is now the active agent bringing salvation into the world to anyone who would call upon the name of Jesus, for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. So my... Uh, my daughter just graduated high school, but uh, many, and she's going off to UVA in the fall, which I'm a UNC Tar Heel fan, like have been for a very, very long time. So I'm not really sure how I feel about her going off and doing the wahoo wah thing, you know, and that. Anyways, that's my own issues. I need to work with that and pray about that. But anyways, many, many years ago, when she was in kindergarten, right? She was in kindergarten. I got asked to speak at the, the weekly chapel service for her school. 
And they had a tradition at her school that when one of the dads was speaking at the chapel service that the children of that dad would, would actually do the introduction and, and, and introduce their, their parent. And this particular morning I was speaking, so Gracie's kindergarten teacher came up to her thinking, okay, this is a little five-year-old, there's 150 kids in this school, kindergarten to eighth grade, she might be a little nervous standing up in front of all these people. And she goes, Gracie, do you want to bring a friend with you as you go up and introduce your dad? And she says, nope, I'm fine, I got this. And I was like, oh, okay, little five-year-old, I got this, right? And so we go up for the introduction, and, uh, and she says, she opens it up, this is a very special day. Wow, all right, in front of 150 kids. This is a very special day. This is my dad, and he loves me, and we like to wrestle. And the whole place just like blows up, right, in laughter. And, and literally, I, I, I should have just sat down after that, because I don't think any of those kids heard anything I said, because they were just chuckling and laughing about Gracie's introduction of me the entire time. But, but uh, uh, you know, I, I think that that moment, she said something right, in, in her introduction that is subtle but profound. She said something that is subtle but profound. I'll tell you what she didn't say. She didn't say, this is my dad, and I love him, and we like to wrestle, right? She said, listen, this is my dad, and he loves me. Now, speaking to all the parents in the room, isn't there nothing you want more than your children to feel the confidence and the safety and the security of your love? You want them to know that you love them. More than you want to hear, I love you, Dad. You want to hear, my father loves me. And I just wonder for us, when was the last time you said, my heavenly father loves me. When was the last time? Like, do you know the love that God has for you? Because this passage makes it very clear that, 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 that it was love that compelled God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, compelled Jesus to come and give his life for you, to be that substitute on the cross. It was love. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, do you ever find yourself believing that God is going to love a future version of you more than he does now? Like, Oh, I got to get this part of my life together. I got to get this part of my life together. Then God will love me. And, and you find yourself thinking, I, I just don't feel, even though you're, you're a believer, a Christian, you say, I don't feel like God loves me. It just doesn't feel like he could possibly love me. I know me and I know all the ways I'm screwed up right now. And I have really, really great news for you. Your feelings aren't the sovereign of the universe. Like, that's huge. The word of God and the truth of the scriptures is what we must always come back to. And you know what they tell us? You know what they tell us? The truth is, 
is that he loves you in Christ. He loves you. Like, when was the last time you actually said, my father loves me? Not some future version of you. He, through the finished work of Christ, you are fully loved. He will never love you more. He will never love you less. Ever. You are loved fully. And my hope for us today is that that we would just even get a, a glimmer, a sliver of that, and that we would actually experience that love and and come to a place where we can receive that emotionally spiritually my father loves me in fact why don't we let's say it all together right let's say it together my father loves me ready on three one two three my father loves me amen he does he loves you he loves you so maybe you're sitting here today and you say, actually, I, I'm not a believer. I haven't put my faith and trust in Jesus. How, how does this work? How, how do I do that? And you're wondering, how can I be saved? How can I have this love myself? How does this take place? How does one go from death to life? And then what? Well, I'm really glad you asked because that's what the next passage tells us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, this is, our, this is our greatest hit. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen? And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There are two possible ways of pursuing salvation. Every religion, if you break it down and you look at every religion and, and, and you, can, you can say that they will fall into one of these two categories. There's two ways. And the scriptures talk about both, both positively and negatively. There is grace and there's works. That's it. Grace and works. Two massively different ideas. So let's see how each one plays out. So number one, the first way. Uh, you can seek to merit salvation by works of the law. We, we might call this religion, right? This is the idea that somehow through externals, I can somehow garner and curry favor with God, that through some sort of sequence of moral acts, I can actually please God. And, and this actually was the prevailing idea in Paul's day. See, prior to coming to faith in Jesus, Paul had been a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of that day. They were professional do-gooders. That was their, their, that's what they did. They adhered to a moral code, the Mosaic law. And they were so good at it, in fact, that they, they began to create laws around the laws, right? They, they said, oh, okay, uh, keep the Sabbath holy. Okay, uh, how do we do that? I don't know. So let's, let's make some laws. And they built laws like you can only take so many steps on the Sabbath, right? So they built laws around the laws so that they didn't break that one law. So like they were, they were experts at this. And, and actually, if you think about it, it's not too dissimilar to the prevailing thought of our day of people who just say, ah, good people go to heaven, right? We do good deeds here and there, 
and we hope it all works out in the end. And that's generally, I'm a forgiving person. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good husband, a good wife. I, I, I read the Bible. I provide for my family. I never forget to send my mother a Mother's Day card on Mother's Day, right? I, I, I let people in in traffic. I, I keep, I really try to keep the Ten Commandments. I, I give to the church. I give money to the poor. And, and, and if I can create a righteousness that will be acceptable to God. That's, that's what I'm going for. I had a neighbor talking to him not too long ago, and he said, he told me we were talking about some of this stuff, and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm a values-based person. That was, that was what he told me. I'm a values-based person. So he kind of delved in, like, what does that mean? But really, at the end of the day, what he was saying was, I just try to be good. That's, that's what I'm going for. I'm just trying to be good. And it, if you think about it, it makes sense in our culture. Because our culture is built around performance and earning, and, and it's what we do. We do it ourselves, right? We're, we're virtually bred into this ideology. And in the Northern Virginia, D.C. area, it's on hyperdrive. It's like this everywhere, but in D.C., it's on hyperdrive. It's the air we breathe, right? you you got to start out young, so you got to get good grades in school got to get good grades so that you can get into the good college and then once you get into a good college you got to work hard so that you can you can get the the job interview and then you do the job interview and you knock it out of the park and you get the job and then you get the job and then you're fighting for promotions and and climbing the ladder and it's all all i gotta get the raise i've got the performance review like like it's all those things right and you can't tell me that that ideology doesn't creep in to how we relate to our, our Father, our Heavenly Father. Like that, that mindset. I mean, do you ever feel like God's giving you a performance review when you come to him in your, in your, your quiet time? Like you're, you're like, family, how are you doing? Finances, okay, job, giving to the church, your time in the word, community, right? And it's, it's this, you gotta do it right. And our culture operates this way, and, it's, and I think a lot of times it bends us towards thinking that we have to do something to garner favor with God. And so how this plays out, you got someone that says, oh, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decide not to go out on the weekends. I'm going to settle down. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit hooking up with girls. I'm going to find a nice girl, actually marry her, and I'm going to stay steady at my job, quit partying, go to bed on time at a reasonable hour. I'm going to do good. You, I mean, here's the thing. You can quit the whole party scene, come to church for the rest of your life, and you don't have salvation or the righteousness of God. You have a moral life and church attendance. You following me? That's not the way to salvation. It is not the way. It cannot be earned. Like, look at me. It cannot be earned. There is no action that you possess that can garner favor with our God. Nothing. You can lay down your life for another human being. You still don't have salvation. You can give all your money to the poor, and you've not curried favor with God. Because in his mind, it was all his anyways, right? Paul is telling us, you cannot ever earn salvation and righteousness from God by adhering to a moral code or by doing good. You are broken and dead to the core of who you 
are. Salvation is not by our best effort. It is by faith in Christ, his grace. It's in faith in him alone. For the first day you place your faith in Jesus, and every day from there on out. That's how that's how it works. Now stay with me because this is the gospel. This is it. This is why we're here. This is why we worship. This is why we come here to celebrate. And I want to show you uh, an instance of salvation in the scriptures. So I want, to sh- I want us to see what this looks like, okay? So we're actually going to be in Luke 23, verse 39. If you're following along in your Bible. All right. Context. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's, he's been beaten Uh, He's been tortured, and now he's been nailed to the cross, and he's on the cross, and to either side, he has two criminals that are being crucified with him. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other one rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? Since You are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me. Isn't it remarkable? Jesus is doing ministry down to the very last minute of his life. He saves this man. He saves him. And here's the thing. This man, he had no opportunity to do good. None. He he couldn't do a quiet time. He had no chance to go on a missions trip. He couldn't attend a community group. He didn't have a chance to give money to the church. No chance to, to give back to God. His whole life had culminated in this moment of his crucifixion. And Jesus says to him, you are righteous. You will be with me in paradise. He's declared righteous. It's the only way you get in. He's declared, he, he, he saves this man. And this man does absolutely nothing. You don't get yourself right with God. He makes you right through faith in him. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. I mean, at this moment, the thief uh, is there. When all the disciples had forsaken Jesus, Peter had denied him. Judas sold him out. Like this moment, there's no revival. There's no like video screens. There's no hospitality, no worship team. There's no Starbucks coffee, right? It was just the thief and Jesus. He was alone with his faith in Christ. That's it. And for you today, for you today, that, that is the way. It's seeing Ephesians 1 through 3. And recognizing and acknowledging, man, I am broken. I'm dead spiritually. I need to be brought to life in Christ. And we repent of our, of our sin. And we acknowledge our sin. And then we turn to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. I want you 
more than anything in the world, right? Turn to Christ your longing eyes. View his bloody sacrifice. See in him your sins forgiven, pardon, holiness, and heaven. Glorify the king of kings. Take the peace the gospel brings. A crucified man looking upon a crucified savior looks to Jesus dying a felon's death, but he has faith. Through faith, by grace, you are saved. Not of your own doing, not a result of works. So that our only boast is Jesus. That's it. Our other passage before this morning in, in, in 1 Corinthians, same thing. He's saying, man, our only boast, it's in Jesus. Like, we're here to, I mean, I hope you come on Sundays, like, it, it, like this is a chance to celebrate. Like, we get to celebrate with God's people coming together and singing songs. We are celebrating what Jesus has done. You see, it's not about your devotion. It's about Christ's death. It's not about your striving. It's about his sacrifice. It's not about your right living. It's about his redemption. It's not about your goodness. It's about his godness. We need to stop trying and start trusting in the finished work of Christ. We need to stop worrying about our commitment to Jesus and start receiving his commitment to you. He's committed to you. He loves you. And here's the crazy part. When we do that, when we take our eyes off of ourselves and we put them on Jesus and we behold his glory, you know what happens? You actually begin to follow in obedience. Like, and you're not even trying just because you're so captivated by the beauty of, of who Jesus is your desires begin to align with his desires and you begin to walk with him. This is what verse 10 is talking about, right? He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. In, in the Greek, this is actually called an inclusio. If you look at the verses 1 to 10, right? In verse 1, he's talking about, he uses the word walk, like you're walking in this way that is not with the Lord. And then we look down here and we see that Jesus has transformed us and now we are walking in a different way. We are walking in, in step with Jesus. And, and this all happens by beholding his glory. I mean, this is what 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so I, I'm just here today, and my hope is that you will hear and receive that you cannot do anything. You cannot add to the finished work of Christ to get more love from God when in Christ you have had it all along. You've had it all along. It's finished. You are free in Christ. The judgment against you has been satisfied. There is nothing you can do to get more love from God, you have it, and, and, and there's nothing that you can do where he will forfeit his love. Nothing. God's relationship to you, believer and follower of Jesus, is squarely based and anchored on Christ's performance for you, not your performance for him. Christ's obedience 
for you, not your obedience for him, so that no one can boast in anything but Jesus. It's all Jesus. It's all him. So uh, after diving in the water for about an hour, looking for my wife's ring, uh, I, I had like swallowed so much salt water that <laughs> I was like, I, I need a break. So I handed my snorkel gear off to my older brother. He started diving, and I swam inshore. And, uh, and I just, again, I was completely hopeless. I, and I just said, I just, I just need to take a walk. I'm just going to go walk down the beach, pray, talk to the Lord. So I did, went walking down. And I said, Lord, I know this is just like a thing. It's just a, it's, it's something of value. But like at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world. But Lord, I, I just, I'm, for the sake of my life, I, I just pray that by the time I get back to my family on the beach, that, that the ring will be there. Could you do that, Lord? That was my prayer. Turned around, started heading back towards my family on the beach, probably about a quarter of a mile, and, uh, and I see my wife walking towards me. She walks up towards me, holds up her hand. She had the ring. Somehow, my sister-in-law found it. She was smart enough to think, Okay, if it has the diamond, the, 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 the stone is going to be heavier, so that's going to flip over, and that's going to kind of bury itself into the sand. And so she, I was looking for like a sparkly diamond. She was looking for a little sliver of the band, and she found it. She, I mean, guys, it's a miracle. Like, that's like a million to one that, that this actually happens, that you actually find it. It is an absolute miracle of the Lord. And, and, I mean, it's impossible. Like, it was impossible. How are you going to find it? There's coral everywhere. Like, it's 10 feet deep. Like, it, it just, it was an impossibility. And, and if we really think about it, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. It is impossible for you to be brought back to life spiritually. But Matthew 19, 20 says, 26 says, With man, this is impossible. But with God... All things are possible with God. All things. You can be declared righteous. You have the righteous, I mean, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Uh, that that we, have, we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. So, message today. You were by nature children of wrath, dead in your sins, following after the prince of the power of the earth, but... God. Praise be to God. By grace, you have been saved through faith. That's it, guys. Man, I just hope you feel the love of God today, that you will really, really know it, and it will go with you this week, and you will realize the love that God has for me, it's not based on what I do. It's completely based in Jesus that we would turn our eyes to him. Okay, so I'm going to finish up. I, I'm, I'm a little nervous about this because this is not my normal deal. I'm not a poet, but for some reason, I felt the Lord inspired a poem after I was writing my sermon. So I'm going to read it to you guys and hope that the Lord uses it in some way. I'm really not a poet. Like, you ask my wife, she's, like, amazing with words. I'm not. So, anyways... Put myself out there. Okay, here we go. My Savior wept my every tear. 
the judgment and condemnation I no longer fear. My thorny crown pressed upon his righteous royal brow. His wounds, my healing. His cries, my singing. At the cross, I'm kneeling. To his promise, I'm clinging. He died to save. His righteousness, he gave. My cross to bear, my price to pay. My life spared, his love displayed. Humanity fell through one sin in the garden, yet through one sacrifice, sinners are once and for all pardoned. The joy and praise of the redeemed echoes through history. May we join today as we celebrate the gospel mystery. My every sin through him forgiven, victory, a new life, my Savior is risen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You love me. And I think, Lord, sometimes we just need to say it out loud to actually believe it. And Lord, I just pray for every person in this room that they would know your love. It wouldn't be an ethereal concept or a, a, a mental construct, but that it would penetrate our hearts and our lives and we would feel it deeply so that, Lord, we might boast in you and you alone. And Lord, we might walk with you as we behold your glory. Lord, may we, this week, just every single morning, pray for us that we would just behold your glory, that we would look to you, that we would treasure you, that we would delight in you and realize the depth of your love for us. God, give us supernatural spiritual ability to to understand and comprehend the love that you have because that's what transforms us lord so god i pray today you get all the glory we thank you for this time we thank you for your word thank you for the apostle paul that you inspired to write it and lord we just we just want to say we love you we worship you we celebrate you we lift this all up in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.